HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece has been brought to you by Bonnie Plants, bonnieplants.com. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Uh, I am welcoming my former uh, co-host, Patrick Martins, the author of The Carnivore's Manifesto, Eating Well, Eating Responsibly, and Eating Meat. And for those of you who, for some reason, do not know who Patrick Martins is, he is the founder of Heritage Foods USA, a very special uh, distribution company that focuses on livestock breeds that are rare and in danger of extinction. He is also the um, founder of this very radio station, the Heritage Radio Network, and that's where we met. And uh, he also started the slow food business here in the United States way back when. So welcome to the studio, Patrick. I know you've so rarely been in here. I'm great at starting things. Finishing, not so much. <laughs> you finished the book. Yes, that I did. That was a miracle. But I, you know, you did have a little help with it. Mike Edison, your yeah, co-author. Yeah, I couldn't have written the book without him. I mean, uh, co-author is very, very important. I think anyone could write a book. Yeah. You know, if they have a co-author. Yeah, probably. There's not a person out there who doesn't have some story if it's pitched right. And, uh, you know, because a co-author's job is just to decorate, you know, kind of be the thread between, you know, this these yes. tapestry. He, or, he's, you know. he's the uh, quilting the patches together. Yeah, that's I mean, kind that's of what a big, uh, big task. Yeah. So now why, why did you want to write the Carnivore's Manifesto of all the possibilities of books and stories that you, Patrick Martins, could tell? Why the Carnivore's Manifesto? Well, I definitely had enough. Uh, I, I've been very lucky. I mean, I met Carlo Petrini in New York in 1998. Then I worked slow food in Italy and I traveled all around Europe. Europe, and then I came to the States. I got to trans, trans, uh, tra- uh, travel all throughout these chapters, you know, Portland, San Francisco. I would go two, three, four times a year, LA, but also weird little places like, uh, yeah. um, oh God, I can't even think. I mean, well, places like in North like, Carolina, like, little Some of the towns. places where you met the farmers that you ended up working yeah. with for Heritage, right? Kansas so City Kansas. and all that. So uh, it was just so lucky. And I knew there were all these things, these observations that needed to be, you know, they needed an archive somewhere. Uh, they were also very broad. You know, they were, I, I didn't go that deep in any one subject. Uh, it was more just, you know, knowing that there's problems with pigs out there and that, uh, you know, restaurants hate it when 
when this happens. And, you know, as a diner, uh, it's very frustrating when this happens. And then I met Anne and she's like, yes, I've noticed the same thing. But, you know, not that many people think that deeply about food, I guess. They think about it peripherally and sometimes they care about it, but most Americans don't. So I knew there could be potential readership for all these accumulated experiences that I'd had the luck of, of interacting with. Well, one of the chapters that I really uh, enjoyed uh, was one of the, towards the end when you have a sort of a letter to restaurant, would-be restaurateurs. And like, it's a letter to farmers, actually. A letter to farmers. But like, how do you deal with these people and, and you know, know that you are going to have to actually produce the same thing over and over again, that there's mm-hmm. got to be some consistency. And that makes me um, want to talk. The whole local movement suffers from that. Yeah. I mean, the local food movement, there are a couple of things wrong with it. Just in New York City, I can speak to. Mm -hmm. But also, I think the same would apply to Ferry Plaza and Vermont. They end up being very Republican places. They fall into the category of being very conservative. They are not about growing things because they they have it all. I Uh mean, the farmers at the Union Square Farmers Market, the farmers at the Ferry Plaza, guess what? They're not into huge changes. They sell to some of the most affluent Americans in the in the country. That's right. And they can... Uh, they sell it out all the time. There's yeah. literally 10 million people going through their stall mm-hmm. every week. Um, it's a, you know, so do they want to see 70 other meat farmers start? No. Do the slaughterhouses want to see 10,000 other slaughterhouses? No, because they're full. Their mm-hmm. cup runneth over. Mm-hmm. So as a result, they become the ones most resistant to change and advancing things because they are holding it. And that's why I think the the food world is more exciting in places like, uh, you know, Madison, Wisconsin, where it's more a hippie kind of all all uh, all. all, all ships all people on board it's also funny i mean this kind of doesn't really connect but we were in berkeley yeah. and we got yelled at twice for crossing the street mike edison my co-writer was like i can't wait to go back to new york city where i'll feel safe crossing the streets again <laughs> and what happened is because you were jaywalking well we weren't on one hand the woman was like cross the street pedestrians you know even though she had the green light and we had the red light i'm like wow you guys give way too much power to pedestrians if you override basic traffic laws right and the point is it's something that started as a hippie thing everybody we're easy going what ends up happening over years and years all these rules get created about what it means to be a hippie and then in the end you have the most non-hippie uptight zone in the history <laughs> of the planet and I think that relates back to what I was saying about the farmers. Just yes. a little bit, so many rules about what it means to be cool or okay with the business and this and that. Well, I think you make a great observation. And it, uh, once again, you surprise me, Patrick, but I, I suspect that you're exactly right, which is that, you know, when you have a bunch of people who have figured out what they think is the right way, mm-hmm. then suddenly there's rules about the right way and people who aren't doing it that way are doing it the wrong way, mm-hmm. even if it might be a good way. Yeah. So, but um, with that being said, let's talk just for a second about um, heritage breeds and how you know what what does that all mean and why is it important just like let's get that out of the way for people who maybe haven't necessarily tuned into why heritage breeds matter well just like there are many types of dogs and cats in the world there are also many types of livestock species they right. come from certain places they have their histories they also have their own particular genetics and for all those reasons it's important to preserve those breeds because they are part of our history just like our art history our architecture history they're also their genetics could 
hold valuable solutions to resisting man-made uh, or natural pathogens that come along, like the Irish potato famine. And uh, plus, also, the, you know, if we're going to really look to meat the way we do vegetables, I mean, any recipe book will write pages and pages and pages on the seeds and the heirloom seeds and the vegetable and the provenance of the vegetable and this and that. And then 32-ounce flank steak. Right. <laughs> you know, that's it. And the meat has nothing, nothing, nothing. So it's important to preserve also the gastronomic traditions behind these breeds because if we're going to ask them to die for us, you know, we shouldn't just treat them as one, uh, you know, as under one umbrella. Yes, they all have differences. They taste different. I mean, Kobe beef from Kenina beef from Angus beef. These are all important things. So you have to eat them in order to save them, unlike wild animals that you just leave alone to run around uh, in order and to reproduce, increase their populations you need to eat these animals and uh, give farmers the incentives to raise them so we try to save rare breeds through sales and we have about 120 restaurants to buy from us every week about 30,000 people around the country who get fedex packages delivered directly to their home through our excellent mail order company so that's how you actually intervene on behalf of farmers is you buy from them that's how you help endanger breeds of livestock the kinds that taste the best the kind that are pasture raised the kind that are not these factory farm freaks which i hate to say it but they're freaks being raised on those farms temple grandin says it frank reese says it i mean i'm not the only one on some uh plank out there saying that uh, they are abusing the animals that they raise they are i think that's generally understood it's why i also think this book might not get the attention it deserves because when you take on purdue and smithfield directly by name for what they're doing to the animals you know even great publications that you would think would be immune to sponsors and boards of directors and this and that Mm -mm. still might be a touch resistant just a touch absolutely they they potentially lose money yeah although uh, the meat racket chris leonard's book (laughs) names tyson it's a deconstruction of the tyson business model and how it's had an impact on livestock ag throughout this country and throughout the world and he's he got plenty of splay. So I don't think you should worry too much about that. But um, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the elitism that is often thrown at people like you or, you know, the farmer's market model and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where it's like not available to everyone. It's too expensive, blah, blah, blah. Well, you I know, mean, I'll answer that. Should we that be just eating for... $140 turkeys? Is that really true? I'll eat this. Uh, well, I'll just answer for meat. So it's just, and through the lens of meat, all food, yes, of course, people need to be able to afford food. Um, I actually think that uh, because we are so anti commodity, and by the way, it's not a utopic book, this is about a slow turning of the wheel. I had a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich for breakfast today, and I know that that bacon came from a cruel system. And you know those eggs did too. Right. This is about a slow turning of the wheel. So, um, the I, I, I say in the book, one of the chapters, that this might actually be one of the greatest vegetarian manifestos of mm-hmm. all time because basically it's anti the corporate agriculture, which for many reasons that you could read in the book, it's 53-page essays. You see why that's happening, how that's happening. Some people, some you know, like confinement, they never see the light of day. Other things you might not have thought about, the whole being able to pursue their curious instincts, pigs are very smart animals, Two, survival of the fattest chapter, which is chapter three, these animals are bred to grow so fast, these 
profit people who are the boards of directors have gotten so good at raising these animals in half the time that it takes that they actually arrived to the slaughterhouse already injured. Temple Grandin just two weeks ago came out with a, she said it in a speech somewhere that about, you know, a core 30% of all chickens arrived to the plant before anything yeah. else already injured because they were being forced to grow too fast. Yeah. So, um, you know, we know about that. Now, the $140 turkey, which we're just talking about meat, um, you know, when you think about what the alternative is, and I'll say this in under 30 seconds, their beaks get clipped. <laughs> you don't have so, to talk that fast. No, but I mean, this is the answer. Why $140 turkey? Because the $2 a pound turkey, yeah. as opposed to the $10 a pound turkey, its beak was clipped so that it could not fulfill its natural instinct to be a picky eater. It was not given its natural food. It was given antibiotic-ridden mush, yeah. you know, which, which helps it grow. They never turn the lights off in those barns. So, so that they, they eat all eat. day. Yeah. They are never allowed to see the light of day. They are over-confined, and they are obese. That's what they have gotten good at. They've made all these animals obese so that they could have more white breast meat to sell. Um, and then sometimes they even dump the shit of all these animals in rivers and pay a relative pittance not sometimes they spread that manure over fields yeah. and it runs into the groundwater and the so waterways who are we telling to eat that turkey too yeah who are we making the argument for that is classist it's the exact opposite people say this with goodwill oh because i am a caring understanding person that's why i say poor person eat this Eat this cheap food. Eat this cheap meat. That is the absolute opposite of what you need to be telling anyone. Because if there's a truth out there, that truth applies to everybody, whether you're rich or poor, black or white. And maybe you need to be eating less meat. Or maybe you need to be doing it Italian style where you dribble two ounces of ground, delicious, healthy meat onto a pasta mm -hmm. and eating that for $3. By the way, even at $140, that's $10 a person. Right. That's a pound a person for a 14-pound turkey. That $10 a person is not that much out of touch with what a McDonald's value meal costs, which might be $7, $6, you know, mm -hmm. so what, $4 more? I mean, you're not talking about it costing $300 a pound. I'm also sick of hearing all the people are constantly criticizing, like Armandino Batali's Salumi, which we sell at our Heritage Meat Shop, $28 a pound. Have you seen what a proper portion is? It comes to 80 cents. <laughs> no, it does. When you slice the salami very thin which and eat it as an appetizer, to. that's right. under a dollar. And even Ann, who runs one of the best cheese shops in the country, um, you know, all Vermont cheeses, she herself sometimes feels this guilt of saying, wow, this is $32 a pound. As an appetizer, you're not supposed to eat the whole wheel. Right. You're supposed to eat a little triangle that comes to two bucks. So anyway, it's just to say this elitist argument ends up, uh, what it does is it demeans poor people. Right. And it tells them something that's not true, when in reality, they are being complicit in a crime. If that company is dumping the shit into a river right. or spreading it around, why would a poor person not have the ethical desire to not do the wrong thing? And again, we're not a utopic society. This book, it's very realistic. It's about a slow turning of the wheel, but you cannot have dual arguments for different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm into that. So I, it is very weird that people don't get that. Well, of it's course not, because the upfront costs seem outrageous because the back costs are not being advertised in commodity farming. It's still not so, right for anybody to be eating those foods and they should be told to avoid it. 
whenever possible. Whenever possible. And I'm only talking about meat. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about fruits and vegetables no, and basic grains. I mean, people deserve a nutritious environment. But the case for commodity is is kind of a strong case, which is that, first of all, uh, it's lots of environmental studies will show that you actually have a smaller carbon footprint with some of these operations because um, you're not using as much land. But the animals are abused. Not always. Why? I don't think that is widespread. Pigs? Pigs, I agree, should Chickens? not be. Yeah, That's it. Let's Those talk are two about big cows. ones. Okay. And then let's talk about also the ability to provide the consistent product that every American seems to want. They all want exactly the same size. I they don't want know the they same all eye. want. I, I do. I think people, they, that's why brands are successful. Yeah. If somebody is marketing a brand and the brand is successful, it's because people know that that's going to represent certain qualities that they have come to cherish about that brand. That doesn't or get wrongly. lost in the other system. You don't think so? No. I mean, that How charming. Standardize there might be, old Gloucester old spot pigs. Well, I mean, standard, there might be charming inconsistencies. I love you said charming inconsistencies quite a few no, times there in the might book, be and I, some, I thought that was great. Charming inconsistencies. There might be, you know, and also, what is it? Someone really looking within a, a, a tenth of an inch well, of your fat restaurant, for a pork chop? Your restaurant clients are looking for consistency. And we give them. Yeah, you All are able to give them. How the, does that? How do you do that? I guess that's my question. I guess, how do you make that work? I don't want to answer that exactly because it's a very complicated question. Mm-hmm. We need more farms producing more food. For more Americans. Right. That's the goal of this book. And it talks about it in very concrete ways. It's a roadmap for accomplishing that. Now, you're saying, you know, will people in Oregon be upset that their, uh, you know, breakfast sausage doesn't taste the same as the guy in Ohio? No. I mean, in fact, I was amazed. We went to Oregon. They have, in a large part, they, they were like Purdue. Smithfield, they haven't infiltrated there. California, the West Coast, is like a weird thing. They already are doing different things. Yes. Their chicken, I forget, Foster Farms, I believe, was the name of their chicken. Yeah, the one with the big recall for Salmonella yeah. last year. Yeah. They don't do Purdue there because it's like a separate island, that country. So, I mean, yeah. there are already inconsistencies between commodity products. Mm-hmm. The, the breakfast sausage that does well on the East Coast doesn't necessarily do well on the West Coast. There might be another company doing that. So, you know, I think there are already differences, and um, I think, you know, the North Carolina... Well, of course there are, but I'm saying that the brand represents a specific ideal. Well, we do. Somebody who wants Jimmy Dean's is going to buy a Jimmy Dean's versus, uh, you know, an Armandino Batali Salumi. You know what I mean? Well, yes, you have to compare like things to like things. But yes, I mean, we are pro. I mean, like... uh, um, you know, Coca-Cola, unless you can make a better Coca-Cola, why would you try? People yeah. should drink Coca-Cola. Uh, if, unless you're going to... I've never tasted at a restaurant a ketchup that tastes better than Heinz. Yeah. <laughs> so there's That's no true. reason to do it. And nobody likes anything better than Hellman's. I don't yeah. know. I don't eat mayonnaise. So but I, when you know. a turkey is not allowed to sleep the way it does in nature... All bets are off. And then the answer to all your questions is, yes, yes, it can happen. Yes, it should happen. Yes, it will. But we can never be like, yes, we abuse animals. It would be like abusing animals in zoos. And you say, yes, but people like the zoo. Time out. If that lion is in the cage the size of a bathtub, it's all bets are off. How do we create the solution? And you ask a very good question. You ask a question in the very same way that every sustainable food conference does. So you're not alone. But what ends up happening then is a bunch of intellectuals are discussing something other 
than the alternative. Right. They are not discussing a, a pro alternative. I'm very excited. Slow Food is organizing a thing in Denver called Slow Meat. Yes. They are trying to get into the old Carlo Petrini thing. It took them 15 years to do it again. Yes. I did one with the <laughs> Turkey Project, but it's called the yeah. Presidium. Active interventions on behalf of meat. Slow Money tried to do that and failed. I cannot think of one project. I do not know of one project that they've done successfully, although I'm sure they'll tell you they've done 10. But, uh, you know, people need to be about the solution. Yeah. Some intellectual, oh, well, would this really be a thing? Let's start one project at a time and, and, and build from there. Uh-huh. So can our food feed the world? I'm not ready to answer that question. And by the way, if I had to, yes, it could. Right. How's that? You know, the big companies could change uh, a little bit. And also the current well, company system is not feeding the whole world anyway right correct. now. So all those things are wrong. And also it's why I hope my book is successful because it says, no offense, Katie, I mean, you love me. But those types of questions are just not right or helpful or uh, they're, they're, they're the questions I don't want to say they ask. But they're all wrong. Uh, Another thing people say is that $140 turkey is elitist. What's the correct? It's the opposite. Uh And those questions, what's right? The opposite. Not just a shade of it. It's the opposite. How do we start? Where do we go? What do I put my money to? Where's the CSA I should sign up with? I love just food. They're an all CSA organization. Yeah. That's big. All right. We're going to take a short break. And uh, do a quick sponsor drop, and then we'll be back with Patrick Martin to talk more about the Carnivores Manifesto and uh, the creed of Patrick Martin. To gourmet, nothing's fresher or tastier in recipes than homegrown, vine-ripened veggies and savory herbs. Do you grow your own? With Bonnie Plants, a kitchen garden at your back door or in containers can produce an amazing harvest for cooking and for sharing. Find how-tos, plans, and more at bonnieplants.com. Your recipes might not change, but your results sure will. Fresh, healthy Bonnie veggies and herbs. Get growing. We are back. This is uh, What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights with me, Katie Kiefer. My guest is Patrick Martins. Your former co-host. My former co-host um, and the current author of The Carnivore's Manifesto, Eating Well, Eating Responsibly, and Eating Meat. And if anybody knows anything about eating responsibly raised meat, I think it would be Patrick Martins. Because after all, you were kind of the first big kahuna who was literally buying and distributing a heritage breeds of meat long before anybody thought it was trendy or There's- even Still no one who need. does it on a national level. Right. That's upsetting. That's it's crazy. Wrong. I don't People understand why wrong. you don't have a million copycats. I mean, we do, I think, on local levels for sure. Sure. And, uh, you know, when I was at Soul Food, we helped launch about 80 independent local supplies of turkeys where if they couldn't get their shit together, I would personally organize the sale. That's right. How, you know, to Tammy Lax's restaurant in Madison in Montana, the guy couldn't organize the sale. So I would just, you know, sell them by yeah. forcing a restaurant to friggin buy them for $600. You can help a farm. I mean, but um, no, 
I mean, we want more competition. It would be correct yes. that there'd be more competition, but that's what I was saying. It, it would also help farmers, and it would drive the prices down if there was a more of a market I don't market think it this. would drive the prices down. I think if there was an economy of scale here, you some, might lose yes. some of the, of the price point. But if the people want to make a profit and, and live decent and they lives, should. then the prices yeah, shouldn't go down. Work. What we need to be talking about is cooking in smarter ways, like pasta is yeah. a great... Using mechanism. less meat and feeding more people with less meat. Eat pasta five days a week. Sure. Italy does do. it. They live longer <laughs> and it comes to $3 a person. Yeah. Even if you end up putting, uh, you know, uh, calamari in it or, or clams or scallops, it still comes to 3 or $4 course. a person. Absolutely. So or that, beans, for God's sake. I but mean, to say that uh, Frank Reese should grow 10 times as many turkeys and get paid half as much, no. It no. doesn't happen like that. You're talking about the efficiencies of scale shaves 10, 20, 30 cents off of an eight-pound thing. It does not right. shave half. So that's also another argument. I do not bring that up in the book. But we need to um, relieve the pressure of small family farmers to right. already have to cut prices if they can double in size. No. I, yeah. A few cents maybe, but uh, – I think it's well, a mistake. Well, I think that they are the smaller family farms are not getting the subsidies that larger farms are getting uh, through true. all these various um, programs, crop insurances, and especially the fact that uh, that they don't pay any of the back end costs like uh, pollution control, mm-hmm. uh, waste disposal, etc. So then, our ma- so, and because we yeah. can't win that fight, because winning that fight is out of our hands, right? We live with what we have, and our price, our meats are priced just fine. Heritage Foods meats are priced I think just they're pretty fine, recent. and pretty they're decent, still yeah. outrageous to most Americans. But the correct way to look at it is they're within striking distance of what every American can afford. Again, it depends. If you're talking about a 32 ounce ribeye steak, no, <laughs> then no, we're not going to try to be that game. Yeah, but by selling more ground hamburger meat, that ribeye, by well, the way, would. Well, let's talk about ground meat because. Um, I'm I'm actually right now negotiating with some guy who's who runs uh, the 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 company that distributes five burger or what is it five guys five napkin burger five well but let's I mean there's all these new chains there's Mel's there's five napkins there's five guys there's mm-hmm. burger B R G R there's I mean we should be eating tons more ground meat than we are so because so much of the cow and so much of the other animals is wasted through not eating more of it so how do you propose to make more ground meat products uh, you know, more, what do you think would make uh, Americans more likely to eat more, say, ground goat, ground lamb, ground turkey? Well, I don't know. The, in the book, we cover the, uh, you know, if we want a domestic lamb and goat market to grow so that yeah. we're not importing it all frozen from New Zealand on big right. ships. And if we want to see more 100% grass-fed burger uh, grass-fed cattle operations grow, then, you know, the way to do that is to eat more ground meat. Yeah. Um, another thing we do, we have a sex cells every season has its meat. Yeah, yeah, uh, I liked that chapter. It's that basically was great. saying that meats are seasonal just like fruits and vegetables. Many yeah, meats are. Yeah, an interesting observation. We need to uh, be, in order to, uh, let's say it's Goat-tober and we're eating goat, you shouldn't make just one lavish meal with goat. And say we've participated in Goattober. It's about bringing in a half goat and making, you know, pasta five nights with the ground. Then once you do the belly and you have a weird kind of thing with rice on it. And and then another time you do this and you make seven or eight meals using 
goat. Yeah, or you lamb know what the turkey. problem with all of this is, so Patrick is, is that you are making the assumption that everyone either knows how to cook or has the time to cook. And this is where you and I have always had a bone of contention because, as you know, I firmly believe that cooking should be back in the school curriculum. And you've always often said in the past that, ah, who needs to cook? You can go out and get meatballs at the meatball shop. It's much better and it's quicker and it's easier and it's cheaper and blah, blah, blah. So well, you always you're always you saying that- everybody should cook now. And I'm, I'm saying that's like, that's quite a 180 degree shift for you. Well, I basically said, uh, you know, is that because you're married meats. now and no, have no. children? <laughs> Eating ground meat is the way to do it. Everybody yeah. can make hamburger, meatballs and pasta sauce, 100%. So let's grind up all the animals and rather than say... <laughs> Oh, let me try to support the sustainable food movement. Right. Um, uh, let's, let's by buying one belly. meal. Right. Yeah. Let's and by buying the belly to help. No, let's buy ground meat all the time. And mm-hmm. all those meals that I just said, you should be buying these animals in bulk. You could grind up the whole animal. That's okay too. You buy. Three lamb for you and your family, yeah. and they come in seventy-five, you know, one hundred and seventy-one pound bags of lamb that you're going to eat over the next three months. Yeah, that's a smart way of doing it. You're going to have a dinner party. You're going to go. Twenty people are coming over. Right. That you one, bring a gift, and then you're only trying to do one thing. You know, is grinding up the animal. Yeah. But um, I mean, I didn't really get how to get Americans to do it, but I talk about the importance of, and I don't know if any of those places that you just mentioned, do they have a lamb burger or I don't know, burger? but I'm thinking it's something that you should look into and, and start talking to them about. Because, Moo Burger does. Because why not uh, have a goat burger? Yeah. You know? I, I think that's a very good way to move more of that product. And it's also a great way to introduce it to the American population, which isn't so keen on eating goats or insects or any of the other but things. But they love that hamburgers and meatballs. They do. And that's how it should be met. Support my local farm. Mm-hmm. Support lamb. Eat a burger. Right. Have a burger party versus what's the top down. Oh, there's 90 ways to braise a trotter. That's ridiculous. I mean, right. as, a, as a national way to do it, that's great for the high end restaurants. But yes, play the game that exists, which is burgers, hot dogs. That's yeah, what people, people want. like ground meat and it's cheap. Yep, it's the cheapest. It's way what to eat. can be affordable for even people who don't have a lot of income to dispose on, yeah. on uh, sort of high end meats. Mm-hmm. But they can certainly afford a six pack of burgers, whether there it's goat, lamb, or there should be a national or... pasta day. Yeah, just like there's a National Farmers Day I call for in yes, chapter forty one, <laughs> August first. Yeah, absolutely. Now you know Jimmy Carbone, one of our co hosts, mm-hmm. is organized with the Green Market for the to do an official something or other. This August 1st. Is that right? In an effort to push that through, at least in the state of New York. That's a great idea. That stupid groundhog gets more attention than our farmers. I know. It's so true. It's ridiculous. And especially in the last few years, farmers have taken such a beating with those storms. People forget so Mm -hmm. quickly. But there was Irene, and then there was Sandy, and then we've had massive flooding. I mean... What did all of those things have in common? Not one food section in any or magazine covered those issues. Yeah. It's all the more reason for the Heritage Radio Network. That's right. Because there is no voice for the farmer outside of this. Or if you're in the Midwest and you're working with the mainstream uh, farm belt Mm -hmm. media, which there is. There's feedstuffs. There's all these other, you know, and there's radio stations for them. But there's not like this. And they aren't. And they are speaking only to their own constituencies. Just like we are, too, here in New York. Yeah, but they're not speaking to the to the consumer. They're speaking to other farmers. Mm-hmm. And I think the important thing is, as you say in that uh, chapter, is to remind people of who is actually doing what we all need to survive. Um, one of the things that also interested me was um, 
you uh, you talk about um, changing from monocropping breeds into uh, you know high, offering more opportunities for different breeds in a more shall we say commoditized version. And what would it take for, do you think, for uh, a company like Cargill to move away, say, from, um, you know, Blank Angus or from or Smithfield to move away from the large white pig, which is their standard breed? Well, I mean, uh, what it would take is probably a very slow turning of the wheel. Mm -hmm. It would be, you know, artificially inseminating some purer genetics into the system. There's no sex on these family on these large farms. They're all AI'd, so they have complete power. Small farms use AI. Come on. Well, I think the first thing you would say is. You cannot feed antibiotics to your food anymore. It would be nice if the market dictates. I think the market is going to dictate that. So then, therefore, they have to do it. That's the answer right there. It's through the winnable goal of that one thing, no antibiotics in our food. And then their response privately in their boardroom is like, all our animals are going to die if we don't give them the antibiotics. They won't even get to <laughs> yeah. the end of their short, miserable life. What's the answer? Well, we need to get some of the good old-fashioned Duroc into that. That's right. And they're like, but do you know what that's going to mean? Yes, that meat's going to cost more. That's right. the end result. After all is said and done, it's going to mean that uh, they gr- they have s- smaller litters. They grow slower. Yeah, um, and that they prob- and they require more space in which to a grow. Touch, but that's also going to be a battle that's won. In fact, this is a crossover. But you know, I think one day there's going to be a movement for fish. Yeah, to be treated humanely. The whole sea world. No one really speaks on behalf of. We do population counts. Yeah, but we don't talk about fairness. Like there's no. Hey, what about lobsters that get boiled while they're alive? That's not fair. No one's really fighting that bandwagon. But you know what I think will be the vehicle. The one sea creature that will get people to care the dolphin the well, yes actually <laughs> but that hasn't worked yet the octopus yeah as that starts well, to get of more and more, i mean cuttlefish also are very smart very smart and actually there was a piece in the times the other day about fish being more intelligent than people have thought in the past and sure. having a much more of a complex social system and emotional life and mm-hmm. i i certainly think that's true i think that the whole uh, assumption that humans are the only sentient beings on the planet is so incredibly wrong-headed mm-hmm. uh and small-minded that it just kind of boggles the mind but um, i do think that that's the thing they will get the genetics in out of circumstance uh, their, yeah. their animals are sick and, and they're going to need to weave in some better genetics. And I think, ironically, this sounds crazy, they're going to come to guys like Craig Good or yes. perhaps some of the farmers in their own network that keep side supplies of stronger genetics, ones that were not engineered for one trait at the expense of all others. And they're just going to start, and those animals will be healthier. Hey, Patrick, have you visited that place in Newport that is uh, preserving semen yes, and eggs? in from- Massachusetts. It's, I thought it was in Newport. There's more than one Newport. Newport, Rhode Island. Rhode Island? Yeah. Is that the Metcalf family? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they have that whole, it's like Amy Amy, uh, Goodman's, uh, not Amy Goodman, Amy, um, you know, the one who does all the heirloom vegetables up in uh, The Metcalfs are doing very important stuff. Like, that's a way to preserve it. They're just... Yeah, absolutely. That's like one of the best ways, just like uh, people who buy up land. Yeah. To preserve it. And put it into the Nature Trust. Yeah. Those are the best ways. That's why we have an article about Ted Turner. Yes. He's done conservation easement on... He's got the bison thing. Millions of acres. So, now, the book is very funny, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, it's So you want to know how that happened? That was Mike Edison. Uh, I'm all serious. No, you're pretty funny. I'm serious all the time. 
Well, one of my favorite. This is the most jokey I've ever been. No, it isn't. <laughs> In fact, you're you're frighteningly serious right now. I hope you weren't this serious on your. This book is the tour. Politico show of the network. Yeah, well, I know, we but I mean, still, we could have a few. We could have a few giggles here, okay. no? Um, but share the shit was one of my absolute all time favorite uh, chapters in the book because but this it wasn't is something a very that I talk. Chapter. No, it's not. But it's but my favorite line in it was until they start mailing toxic hog turds along with their dividends, arguing in terms of shareholder value is not an acceptable excuse i just thought that was absolutely freaking brilliant yeah. and also so accurate it's like these big companies get away with murder mm-hmm. you know yeah, in terms these of companies uh, are bad you know companies and i was just talking with sam edwards people don't care anymore they don't uh, they're not uh, stirred into action in the 60s you yeah know, activism is not a big part of we're our watching culture. the 60s oh my god civil rights uh you know wars um you know you weren't born yet katie but you know the, <laughs> wait a minute i'm the million i'm the, the million year old woman you. see i've changed <laughs> I have a uh, one of the chapters. Uh, Mike Edison was a real master. He's the host of Arts and Seizures yes, with, with Judy, Judy McGuire. McGuire. Yeah, great and show. he was great at finding quotes. All the fifty chapters. Have yes, quotes. they have wonderful quotes. And my favorite is Somerset Mon. Mom. Mon. Excess on occasion is exhilarating. It prevents moderation from acquiring the deadening effect of a habit. <laughs> Bravo. Yeah, no, it's um, it was a very fun book to write, and I only felt that I would ever write one book. I mean, a recipe book doesn't count. Please. But uh, the we last thing enough. the world needs is that. Although I will, if the advance is right, be happy to dive into the kitchen. Yeah, sure. No, I wouldn't really be doing it. I might conceive of, of what the book should be. But um, this You could do a meat book. book, but there's a lot of meat books out there. <laughs> so what did you honestly think about it? You who read so much... Carnivore's Manifesto, Mike Edison, Patrick Martins. What, where does it fall in the pantheon? In of- the pantheon. Well, I wouldn't say that it was up there with Middlemarch, my favorite book of all time. But um, definitely a great read. Really fun to read. Uh, informative, especially if you're not steeped in the lore of the meat industry as I am. Um, but- Is it one of the top 500 food books written this year? Yes, absolutely. Wow. I'd say maybe Katie, in the thanks. top 15 what? of the food books written this year. Decade? No, I think everybody should get this book and read it because it's fun and easy to read. It takes just a couple hours to buzz through it. It brings up a lot of very interesting points. I thought it was well done. Thanks, um, Katie. Now, where uh, where can people find you? Are you going to be speaking anywhere in the New York area? Are you doing any more book tour? We didn't even we talk just did, about I the know. book tour. I know. We had a great book tour. We did, uh, We you know, Alice Waters was so kind to us. You brought up school lunch as mm-hmm. an important thing. She's pushing that. Um, she just had lunch with the new president of Cal State which is Janet Napolitano. Oh, excellent. And they're making uh, headway to change the food system of that university, and that could mean, you know, have a domino effect. Oh, a lot of the universities are changing, because Sodexo is supplying a lot of these university mm-hmm. meals, and many of them are switching over into more sustainable. I would like you to do that cutoff, uh, you know, of where that is, because mm-hmm. um, I know that they are doing good mm-hmm. stuff, and Chipotle, too. Yep. And I 100% believe it, and I tell everybody it is. But they're like, well, what does that mean? exactly when it comes to the meats it would be interesting to find out how many pounds of meat uh, they are buying from quote-unquote sustainably raised sources. Well, sustainably raised is what would be interesting if your show covered like what is the good? Is that pen size? Is it number of animals per acre? Oh, how to define that? Yes, how to define good so that there could 
be that middle zone reward for companies that are quite large, but are doing stuff much but are better doing it than better. other companies. Well, like the pub companies, obviously, like Nyman Ranch, for instance, that uh, that Chipotle is buying their pork from. And Paul uh, Paul Willis is way out ahead of the game with he his was. pork products. It still is. But, I mean, what is that standard? So that person mm-hmm. in Oregon who is trying to break ground from his, you know, shitty Right, and wants to market food. on this level. What are the rules, the standards? Is right. there a template? And, I don't know that answer. But it would be interesting it for your show over years to cover that because yeah. it is defining the new commodity. That's right. The sustainable one. Yeah, and exactly. And that's uh, those precise hard numbers are tough. Well, in the industry, the commodity industry makes is making a lot of noise about following that, and they have something called the, glo- the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef Production, which uh, I've covered a couple of times. And interestingly, it does not include a single player from Australia, one of the world's greatest beef production com- countries in the world. Uh, and they have a very uh, sustainable grass-fed model because they have so much prairie. Uh, you know, I, I think it's just fascinating. I'm actually going to Australia in August. What? Yeah. Yeah, food art. So, how are you going to do your show? Uh, remotely. Who's your Joan Rivers? Uh, <laughs> My Joan Rivers was Mike Edison. I need a Joan days. Rivers. I really do. Yeah. Anyway, we have to cut this off, but uh, do you have any events coming up in um, New York? In New York, uh, yes. Well, I'm going to be on Mike Colomeco's show. Excellent. Uh, Mike Edison. There's a Carnivore's Manifesto website that lists this stuff. There's something on July 2nd that he is doing music with. He's a master theremin player, yes, micro writer. And uh, there's going to be other events. Uh, so they can check articles. it out on the Carnivores Manifesto dot com. Yes, I think so. You think? I think dot org. <laughs> it's certainly not. I don't think it's a dot org. This is a for profit venture, right? They would never do dot us. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> um, anyway, Patrick, thanks a lot for joining me today. Thanks. This is fun. It was great to have you on the show. I'm like I think your Marv Albert. Whenever your guests cancel, I'm on. Okay, great. It's a deal. <laughs> Not that that ever happens. All right. Thanks to my sponsor and thanks to my engineer. And we'll see you next week. Uh, We'll be talking with, uh, well, I can't remember who, but somebody good. I promise. See you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>